You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. have your Bibles, you can open them to Psalm 91. For those of you that are new uh, with us tonight, we've been in this psalm since September. If you've heard me teach before, you will know I'm a passionate teacher, and, and I love to do nothing more than just to sit in God's Word and be able to just tell you what I learned each week. And this has been hard for me because I, I've had to stay in one passage for, for a bit of time. And I, I really am a narrative teacher. I, I love to teach narratives. I, I love to, to uh, make the application into our lives from those things. And so this has been, sorry, Leslie, th- this has been <laughs> difficult for me to stay in this passage in Psalm 91 for such a long period of time. But I, I just want to tell you we're going to be in it for a few more weeks before we finish. I, I'd hoped to finish before we left on the cruise, but that doesn't look like that's going to happen. And Uh, I just want to make sure that when we finish this text that you understand it like you've never understood a passage before, that it gets deep down in you. The Bible says that we need to store up his word in our heart. And and it's my prayer that the last however many months, five months, that you have done just that, that you have stored up his word, this word, in your heart. In, In his book, The Great Text of the Bible, James Hastings called Psalm 91 the psalm of God's inner circle. I love that. The psalm of God's inner circle. You know that that's because it's those who choose to make the Most High their dwelling place. It's those who choose to run to Him for cover. That's His inner circle. That's what James Hastings is saying there. He noted that for every advance on man's part, there is an immediate and corresponding advance on God's part. When man goes out to seek God, God meets him more than halfway. When he calls upon God, God will answer him. Loving faith on man's part will be met by faithful love on God's part. And that's what Psalm 91 is really all about. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Uh, You know, I've talked to you for several weeks now. The difference in being saved and knowing that you're going to heaven, you've been saved from hell and you get to go to heaven and living like that versus being saved and living with God as your all in all. Really knowing intimacy with the creator, with the one who knit you together in your mama's womb. He wants so much more than you just to trust him to be delivered from hell into heaven. He he wants to do that for you. Mind you, if you're here tonight and and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, can I just tell you that he wants to deliver you from a burning hell, from from eternal separation from him to, to eternity with him, to that safe place with him. But there is so much more to the Christian walk than just being saved from a burning hell. There's so much more to intimacy with God. He doesn't want to be a far off distant God that you just visit on Sunday morning. He wants to have intimacy with you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to recognize his voice. 
He wants you to learn what it means to walk with him day in and day out. It is a place of victory. It's a place of protection. It's a place of safety. And that's what Psalm 91 is all about. It's about drawing near to God and then realizing the benefits of doing so. Tonight we're going to look at specifically Psalm 91 verse 14. In the last 13 verses of this psalm that we've covered since September, uh, we have listened to the psalmist speaking. And now I want you to pay close attention because the orator changes here. It's no longer David or, or Moses or whoever it is that wrote this psalm. You see commentators, uh, they, they disagree who was actually the writer of this psalm. But whoever it was, his voice has now changed and it's no longer the psalmist. It's now God speaking. And I want you to pay close attention to that. These are God's words to you, the dweller. This is what God is promising, what God is speaking to you. Listen for his voice. In fact, I want you to just humor me for a moment. And I want you to just close your eyes. Just close your eyes for just a moment, and I'm going to read this passage to you, and I want you to just listen for the voice of God, remembering that it's him speaking, it's not David or Moses speaking, it is the very voice of God to you. So, so just close your eyes as I read this passage to you, and just ask him, just ask him even now to let you hear his voice speaking to you. He says, because you love me, I will rescue you. I will protect you, for you acknowledge my name. You will call upon me, and I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you. I will honor you. With long life, I will satisfy you, and I will show you my salvation. And Father, I thank you that you want to speak to us. I thank you that your word, the Bible, is full of your promises to us. Lord, help us to learn to listen for your voice. Father, your word says that we don't need a teacher, that you'll send your Holy Spirit to come and teach us, that you'll instruct us in the way of the Lord. And Father, I pray that tonight as we, as we listen for your voice, that you would speak in a manner that we can hear. Father, you know as I prayed today, I prayed that tonight would not just be a, a night of teaching, Father, that it would be a night where we encounter you. Lord, I'm asking for encounters with your sweet Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you that every person in this room you know by name. The word says that you have numbered the hairs on their head that you've kept every tear that they've cried in a bottle. That's how precious they are to you. And Father, you know their needs tonight. You know what they've brought into this room, what burden they're bearing, what anxiety they're carrying, what fear that plagues them, what sadness haunts them. Lord God, you know. And Father, I'm asking tonight that you would just speak individually to each person in this room. Father, that my message would not be with wise or persuasive words, but Father, that it would be a demonstration of your Holy Spirit's power. I thank you, Lord, that your words are spirit and life. 
And I pray that as those words go forth in this place tonight, Father, that they would stir life within the souls of each person here. Father, that they would hear the very voice of God speaking to them. That you would shine your light on your word. That you'd instruct us, Lord. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that you are not a man that you should lie, nor the son of man that you should repent. That, they, that your promises are yea and amen for us who believe. And Father, we believe. And we ask, Lord God, that you would just speak tonight. We long to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't want you to miss the eight I wills in the passage that I just read to you. Let, let's look at it again. Because he loves me, verse 14 says, I will rescue him. I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. I will honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him. And I will show him my salvation, my deliverance. We're going to be looking at all of those verses in the next couple weeks. But tonight, I want to focus just on verse 14. It says, because he loves me, I will rescue him. I will protect him because he acknowledges my name. I like the NIV there. It says, because he has set his love upon me. That word, set his love upon me, it means it's a very strong word in the Hebrew. It, it, there's force behind this word. It means because he set his desire on me, because he's clinging to me, because he set his affections on me. Can, can I just ask you a question tonight? Have you set your affections on God tonight? Have you set your love upon him? Or have you set your love upon the things of this world? Have you set your love maybe upon success or, or maybe food or, or, or drugs or making a name for yourself? Have you set your love upon getting ahead? Have you set up your love upon the temporal enjoyments of life? Have you set your love upon getting affirmation and approval? Have you set your love upon possessions? Or perhaps you've set your love upon yourself and what pleases you? or what makes you happy, or the possessions and the pleasures of this world. What have you set your love upon? If you're being completely honest tonight, and, and I'm asking you to just look in your heart and in your soul, have you truly set your love upon God? Or is he just a far-off, distant God that you've entrusted uh, your life to for salvation? Colossians 2 says, set your affection on the things above and not on the things of this earth. That word affection means your heart, your will, your mind, your emotions. In, in the Greek, it's an ongoing decision, meaning we have to be intentional about setting our mind on the things above and not on the things of this earth. Who knows that the things of this earth can distract us? that it's very easy to get our eyes on the things of this earth. I talk to you all the time about not putting your eyes on your troubles or on your, the, the, the burdens that you're carrying or the things that are going on around you. I talk to you about not putting your eyes and setting your eyes on the things of this world, materialism, greed, getting ahead, what Susie down the street is doing or what Sam at work is doing. Are you setting your eyes on things above? 
Or are you setting them on the things of this earth? He says, because he has set his love upon me. Are you setting your love upon him? First Chronicles 12 says, he did evil because he did not set his heart upon seeking the Lord. There's safety in setting our heart upon seeking him. When I get up in the morning and I seek the Lord, he, he speaks to me in that place at that kitchen table. When I set my mind on seeking him, when I set my affections on my time with him and being with him and getting to know him more, he rescues me from so much. God, I always say to Dave, you don't ever have to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. You just have to ask God to correct me at that table in the morning. When you set your heart on the things above, when you set your heart on hearing from him, it's a place of safety. It's a place of refuge. I like the Amplified in that Second Chronicles verse. It says, he did evil because he did not set his heart to seek, to inquire of, to yearn for the Lord with all his desire. Do you yearn for the Lord with all your desire? What have you set your heart and your affections on? Can, can I just tell you, my sweet husband who is sitting in the back, and, and I'm not just saying this because he's in this room, but can I tell you that, that I can remember clearly the day that I set my eyes on him. I, I can tell you what he was wearing. That, that's how much I remember that day. And, and, and as I began to spend time with Dave and get to know him, you know, I really kind of liked him. And, and, you know, I liked being with him. And, and, and it was just, it was fun. But, but there was a day that, that I can tell you that I began to set my affections on that man. And it was, there was no turning back when I set my affections on him. It was completely different than just spending time with him. And, and I will tell you that even right now, he walked in this room tonight and I picked my head up and I saw him walking in and my heart started to beat fast because you see, my heart is set on that man. And that is just an earthly example of what God is looking for from us in the spiritual example. I believe that marriage is a glimpse. It should be a glimpse of what our relationship is with, with him. And can I tell you, I don't care what kind of man would come after me. I don't care how much money he had or, or what kind of, of line he would give me. Nothing could pull me away from that man. I don't care if he would buy me the biggest house and if he would have the, the most amount of money. I don't care if he sweet talked me and he looked like a million bucks. I would tell you my affections are set on that man. And there would be no luring me away. Do we have that kind of relationship with Christ where our affections are set on him? Not that we like to be with him, not that we really, you know, we tolerate his presence, but that our affections are set on him. You see, that's the difference in just normal Christianity and triumphant Christianity. Do you see it? He becomes our all in all. Is he your all in all? Is he your all in all? Or, or could the, the things of this world come and lure you away from him? Could they, could, they, could they be all the right things for you that would lure you away from your affections being set on God? Dave, he's a pastor, and, and he counsels all the time. And, and I love, he would not need to do this. I don't ask him to do this for me. But he will always say, he'll, he'll send me an email the beginning of the week, and he'll say, now, baby, I, I have, I'm going to counsel with a woman this day, this day, and this day at this time. And I, I just want you to know that, Rhea, that, that I'm going to be in my office with a woman during these times. And, and, and I will tell you that he will never go to lunch with a, with a woman. That will never, ever happen. 
He has made it a policy to never be in a car alone with a woman. You say, well, Rhea, that's ridiculous. No, he's protecting himself. The enemy, he schemes. Do you know that you have an enemy who schemes? And he is fully aware that, that he is never going to get drug into adultery. And he, he has set some parameters around his life to keep him from doing that. And you say, well, that's ridiculous, Rhea. No, that's just smart. And the Bible talks about spiritual adultery. I love the book of Hosea. Do you, do you know the book of Hosea? Uh, Hosea, the, the Bible says he's a prophet. And, and the Bible says that God said to him, I want you to go and take a woman uh, of harlotry. I want you to go take an adulterous woman and take her for, for your wife. And, and Hosea's like, Lord, why would you want me to do that? And he said, because I want you to understand what my heart feels like when my people commit spiritual adultery. You know, we commit spiritual adultery when we, when we get sucked into the lusts of this world, well, when we get sucked into materialism, to greed, to... to, to uh, uh, pride and to arrogance to 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 having uh, to bowing down to the gods of this world to making things of this world more important than we're making god and what happens is we commit spiritual adultery you see we are our heart should be be set on the lord our affections should be set on him just like david my affections are set on each other but dave puts parameters around his life to keep him from committing adultery with his wife and you and I need to put parameters around our life that keeps us from committing spiritual adultery with God. Saying, God, I love you, but this love over here is drawing me away. Just let me have a little fun with this love, and then I'll come back to you on Sunday morning. Oh, church, we need to guard our hearts. The Bible says, because he loves me, I will rescue him. Because he loves me. Do you love him? I don't mean do you tolerate him. Do you, do you love him? I don't mean do you just call on him when you need him. I mean do you love him? I don't just mean do you serve him. Do you go on short-term mission trips? I'm just asking you, do you love him? Every day I say to the Lord, Father, just help me to love you more. I know that I don't love you nearly enough, Lord. Help me to love you more. I want to love you better. I pray, Lord God, that you would just, you just purify my heart from the lusts of this world. Take my eyes off the things of this world, Lord, and put them on you. You see, David, my marriage, I'm drawing that earthly comparison for you to see it. But David, my marriage, I don't want you to think we're sappy, this is how it always is kind of thing. We work on our marriage. Those of you who are married, you, you know that if you stop working, your marriage will go down the tubes in no time. Marriage takes work. You have to be intentional about it. And our relationship with Christ takes the same amount of work. You have to be intentional about it. I'm intentional about my time at the table with him in the morning. I'm intentional about my prayer time with him. I'm intentional about putting my eyes on him and not, not on the things of this world. Are you intentional? Do you love him like that? Have you made him the priority in your life? Do you yearn for him with all of your desires? Do you yearn for him? This morning I was, I was reading through the passage where Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Can, can you imagine what that must have been like for Peter? M many of you know this story. 
Peter is one of the 12 disciples. And, and you know, he's a lot like Rhea. He has a big mouth, and, and he really, you know, spouts off all the time. And, 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 and he really is, you know, I just I look forward to meeting Peter in heaven. Anybody looking forward to that? And, and, and so Peter is with Jesus, and they're tight. And, and one day they're in the upper room, and Jesus says to Peter, says to his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And, and they're all like, who could that be? I mean, they're talking among themselves, like, who could that be? Because it's not going to be me. Do, do you ever feel like that? Lord, I love you. I don't know what Rhea's talking about because I love you, Lord. And, and, and so that's where those disciples were. Uh, who's he talking about? Because it can't be me. And Peter, uh, Jesus says to him, you know, before the night is over, you are all going to deny me. You're all going to walk away from me. And Peter says, now, Jesus, let's just get this straight. If everybody else in this room denies you, I will not. We're tight, Jesus. That's Rhea's rendition. But he's saying, there is no way, Lord, that I'm going to deny you. I I love you. Do you not know how much I love you, Jesus? I'm committed to you. You see, some of you are sitting there tonight, and you're thinking, Rhea, I I love him. I'm committed to him. That was Peter. One very long after that, and you know the story, Jesus says to him, Peter, you're not only going to deny me once, you're going to deny me three times. It wasn't long after that that Peter not only denied him, he denied knowing him, he denied ever being with him. He didn't just deny we're not, we're not tight, he, he denied ever knowing him at all. He cussed, the word said. Can you imagine? Then hearing that rooster crow and him knowing that not only did he deny him, but Jesus knew it. He knew it. Can you imagine how that must must have grieved his heart? Because I believe that when Peter said, oh, Lord, I would never do that, I believe that he really meant it. I I think he really thought he would never be able to do that. And then we see Peter denying him, and and the the Bible says that he grieved over it. He mourned over that. And and then then we fast forward a little while, and, and Jesus has now been crucified, and he's resurrected. And I love this story. The women go to the the tomb and and Jesus is resurrected and and he says now go tell the disciples and Peter do you just love that oh please tell Peter because I know he's beating himself up I know that that he really thinks he's disappointed me I know that he feels like he's a failure I know that he thinks he just could never love me enough but could you just make sure you tell the disciples and Peter let them know I love them let them know we're okay let them know I understand and so then you know the story. Peter's sitting around, and, and, and he just says, I'm going fishing. I'm going back. I blew it. I, I blew it. I don't love him enough. I failed him. I'm just going back. See, some of you think you failed him. Some of you, your failure is right there in your face. You know exactly what you've done. You feel like you've disappointed him. You feel like you'll never be good enough. The fact that I'm talking about love just blows your mind because you're thinking, Rhea, I can't even serve him. I can't even obey him. And you want me to now tell you that I love him? I don't even know that, Rhea, because I don't know if I even love myself. I'm just such a failure, and I've so blown it. And he must be so disappointed in me. That was Peter. And I'm just going fishing. I'm going back to what I used to do. I'm just forgetting all about this Jesus stuff, and I'm just going back to what's comfortable, and I'm going fishing. And they all go with them. <laughs> and they're, all, they're fishing all night long. They didn't catch a thing, which I just love that. Do you just love that? You can't go back. Can't go back. And, 
And he gets there, they're, cut, they're bringing the boat back in the next morning, and there's somebody uh, on, on the, the, the bank, and they're cooking breakfast, and, and it's Jesus. And <laughs> Peter jumps out of the boat, and Jesus cooks them breakfast. You know the story. And then Jesus looks at him, and he said, Peter, do you love me? And the word for love there that he uses is agape. It's, it's the God's love in us. It's the way the Father loves us. It's, it's a self-sacrificial kind of love. It's a love that doesn't look for anything in return. Do you love Jesus so much that you're not looking for anything he can do for you? You just simply love him. Oh, do you not want to love him like that? I, I don't want him to be my genie in the bottle kind of love. I just want to love him with a pure love. I want to look him in the eye someday in heaven and say, I didn't just love you for what you could do for me. I wasn't looking at your hand, Lord. I was looking at your face. I, I didn't seek you for what you could do for me. Grow up, church. We've got to stop seeking him for what he can do for us and start seeking him just because he's worthy. He is worthy of it all. And he said, Peter, do you love me like the Father loves? Peter says, Jesus, I love you. And, and the word there is phileo. It means I got a brotherly love for you. I'm quite, I'm quite fond of you, Jesus. <laughs> and he said, feed my sheep. And then he asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you love me like the Father loves, loves you? He says, Jesus, I phileo you. I, I love you. I'm quite fond of you. But I'm not going there, Jesus. I'm not, I'm not going to pledge everything I have. I'm not even going to go there. I went there once and I blew it. So, Jesus, I, I just, I phileo you. Then Jesus asked him the third time, and the, the word says that it grieved Peter, that Jesus would have to ask him again. Only this time, Jesus said, Peter, do you phileo me? Are you fond of me, Peter? Because that's okay. If, if that's where we need to start, Peter, we'll start there. I, I'm okay. I'm not expecting you to be perfect, Peter. I, I'm not expecting you to love me the way that I love you because you really can't, Peter. We've proven that, haven't we, Peter? You've proven you can't do it. But, but this is where we'll start. You can just be quite fond of me, and that's just okay, Jesus. That's just okay, Peter, because I love you. I love you like that. I, I love you with a, with a self-sacrificial, unconditional, I don't care if you blew it. Can I just tell you? He loves you like that. He doesn't care if you blew it. He doesn't care if you failed. He doesn't care if you fell again. He doesn't care if you made a mistake again. He doesn't care if you let him down again. Can I just tell you, he loves you. He loves you. Do you know what blows my mind about God more than anything in this whole wide world is that he knows everything I've done and I've done some stuff. Anybody in here done some stuff? I've done some stuff. I've done some stuff I wish I could erase. Little sweet Kendall was saying to, to Dave and I last night at, or yesterday at lunch, she said, you know, have you ever made any mistakes? I said, oh my goodness, Kendall. Dave said, oh, Kendall, trust me, we've made some mistakes. Anybody here done some things that they wish they could go back and erase? I've done some of those things, a lot of those things. And the thing that blows my mind about the love of the Father is that he knows all of those things, all of them. He is acquainted with my way. He is familiar with all my ways. He didn't miss a thing. Uh, it always tickles me, the people who say, well, Rhea, I can't tell God that. And I want to just say, are you kidding me? He already knows. He's the God who sees it all. He's the God who knows. And he knows everything I've done. All the ways I've failed. 
and he loves me anyway. Does that blow anybody's mind? You see, we spend so much of our life trying to put on the right look and, and, you know, seem super spiritual and say all the right things and not let anybody know that really we're kind of messed up inside. And, you know, we have a perfect house and we have perfect kids and, and we really seem perfect out in the open, but really we're, we're messed up. And we spend so much time trying to do that. Can I tell you the one who knows who you are on the inside and couldn't love you more? He loves you with an unconditional, unfailing, unfailing. You see, I've had some loves that have failed me. I talked to you about how much I love Dave, but can I just tell you that Dave's failed me? His love has failed me. Every love of this world will fail you. God's love is unfailing. Why do we spend so much time investing and chasing after the loves of this world when we already have the unfailing, perfect, eternal love of the Father? If that doesn't make you love him, I don't know what is. I don't know what will. Do you love him? Can you hear him say tonight, Peter, do you love me? Sally, do you love me? Mary, do you love me? Don, do you love me? Adam, do you love me? Can you hear him say that to you tonight? It's not a, it's not a, a condemning thing. Do you love me? Kristen, do you love me? It's not that kind of thing. It's, oh, Kristen, do you love me? Because I love you. And I want you to know how much you're loved. I want you to know that you're accepted in the beloved. You've been chosen by God. You might be rejected by man, but you've been chosen by me. You see, why isn't that our motivating factor? Why do we try to please, tell me your name, darling, Mona. Oh, Mona! Why do we try to please Mona? I love her. She's got a beautiful jewelry store. I love her. But really, why am I concerned about pleasing Mona when I've already pleased God? Why do I worry whether Susie down the street accepts me or doesn't accept me? We spend so much time worrying about that. You know, so-and-so didn't talk to me. Who gives a rip? Get a little mature. I mean, come on, really? She looked at me wrong. I think I'll let it blow my week. Come on, don't give her that much power. Here's who I'm going to give power in my life. God stoops to make me great. <laughs> he set his affections on me. He's well pleased with me. He's chosen me. He's anointed me. He's appointed me. He's called me. He knows me by name. Every tear I've cried, he's kept in a bottle. Oh, come on. The God of this universe has chosen you. And you're worried about what Susie sitting next to you thinks? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? He says, because he loves me, I will rescue him. And, and, and that word rescue means deliver. It means to, to take to safety. And, and it's a picture of what's just happened those verses before, that he'll rescue us from the arrows, from the pestilence, from the terror, uh, from, from, from the disease. He'll rescue us from our enemies. He'll send angel armies after us. And because he's, he set his love on me, because he set his affection on me, I will deliver him. I wonder if anybody here tonight needs a deliverer. Do you need to be delivered 
from temptation? Do you need to be delivered from an addiction? Do you need to be delivered from jealousy? Do do you need to be delivered from depression or from despair? Do do you need to be delivered from, from, from this bitterness that consumes your life? I wonder if you need a deliverer. Set your love on him and just watch what he can do. The Bible says, stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. Do you know that the one who loves you with an everlasting eternal love can deliver you. You see, we look for deliverance from all the things in this world. Maybe if I find a man who will love me enough, that'll deliver me. That'll make me feel better about myself. Maybe if I I just had more money, that would deliver me. I'd feel better about myself. Maybe if what happened to me as a little girl hadn't happened, I wouldn't be drinking myself into oblivion. Can, Can I just tell you about the one who can deliver you? You can't find it in a bottle. You won't find it in a pill. You can't find it in a man or a woman. You're not going to find it in success. You won't find it in money. Can I tell you about my Jesus? He is able to deliver you. Trust me with this one. I've tried everything else to deliver me. I've looked every place else. No man will ever love you enough. I've got me the best. And he still doesn't do it for me. No child will ever fulfill you enough. I've got seven of them and they still don't do it for me. You will never be young enough thin enough, successful enough. You'll never have enough names, letters behind your name. Only Jesus. And the quicker you learn that, the much better your life is going to be. Set your affections on him, dear ones. On him. And watch what he'll do in your life. Verse 14b says, I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. I like the the New King James there. It says, I will set him on high because he's known my name. And that word set means deliver him. I'll deliver him on high. And and that means I'll deliver him to a place of inaccessibility, a place of protection, a place where the enemy can't get at him because he knows my name. I'll protect him. Because he knows my name. That word know means to be familiar with. It means to be intimately acquainted with. To know his name means to know his character or his attributes. I love love that in the word of God, every time God wanted to reveal something new about himself, he introduced a new name. Well, you need a provider? Guess what? I'm Jehovah Jireh the Lord, your provider. You you need a healer? I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer. You need a deliverer? I am the great I am. Everything you have need of, I am. Every time God wanted to, 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 to reveal something new about his character, he revealed a new name. That's why names are so important in the word of God because names tell you about the char- their character or, or their attributes. It, it, the, the word name means my fame, my reputation. God is saying, if you know my name, if you know my reputation, oh, see, some of you are so worried about your reputation. Oh, God isn't so much worried about your reputation. He's worried about your character. You're worried about somebody ruining your reputation, your name. God's worried about your character. He says, if you know my name, my reputation, you see, my reputation stands. He is who he says he is. Oh, precious one, who do you need him to be for you tonight? Who do you need him to be? Do you need a healer? He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord your healer. I believe it with every ounce of my being. Do you need a deliverer? He promises to be your deliverer. 
Do you need a provider? I'm telling you, this is not playing a game. This is not playing church. I'm so sick of playing church. Can I just tell you that he is who he says he is? If he says he's your provider, you can take it to the bank and expect him to be it. If he says he's your healer, I'm just telling you, I'm going to share a story with you tonight, and you will know that he is who he says he is. He is your healer. He's delivered me from stuff I can't even tell you well, how, how anybody could have ever done it, and yet he was my deliverer. He's your redeemer. He's your friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's your savior. Somebody tell me who he is to you. Who is he? Do you even know his name? You see, so much of us not trusting God is because we don't know who he promises to be. You see, you know him as your savior. But do you know him as your friend? Do you know him as a husband to the husbandless? A father, a father, a father, a perfect father to the fatherless. Some of you need a perfect father because you got ripped. Can I promise you that he's a daddy you can trust? He's a daddy who'll be faithful. He's a daddy who doesn't leave. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Who will never relax his hold on you. Who do you need him to be? He says, I will protect him because he knows my name. So much of us not trusting God to protect us. You see, we, we try to protect ourselves all the time. Many of you know the story about Leslie and I. Uh, when I came across that scripture that says uh, that he's determined to tear down the walls around the daughter of Zion. And I was meeting Leslie for prayer that morning. And I said to her, Les, do you think I have any walls? And she giggled. And, and that began a quest for the two of us where we started to just pray, Lord, if we have any walls, would you tear them down? You see, so much of us putting up walls in life is because we feel like we have to protect ourselves. We have to protect our hearts so we drink ourselves silly. Uh, we have to, 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 to protect our, uh, you know, we have to work extra hard because we need to protect our finances. Can I tell you, I will protect him because he knows my name. So much of us trying to protect ourselves and put on a good show and keep ourselves safe is because we don't trust God to do it. We don't know that he wants to do it, that he wants to be our all in all. Do you know his name? Do you know his name? I love the Amplified there. It says, I will set him on high because he knows and understands my name. He has personal knowledge of my mercy, my love, my kindness, and he trusts and relies on me knowing I will never leave him or forsake him. Oh, I, I just love that the, the scripture in Hebrews 13. I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified. For many years, I carried this with me on, on, a, on a three by five note card. And, and I, had to, I, was, I was believing him. I was in a hard time in my life. And, and I really needed to know that he was going to be there for me. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you. Do you, do you know that he, God himself, has said? I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not. He says it three times. He's stressing this. I want you to understand, I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, 
nor forsake you, nor let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? Do you know? Do you have such knowledge of him and who he is? Do you have that personal knowledge, knowing he will not forsake you? Do you know his name, that he can be relied on and trusted in, that he's who he says he is, and that he will be who he promises to be for you? Psalm 9 says, Those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Those who know your name. Those who trust you to be everything you say you're going to be. You see, we live our life trusting what we can see. You know, trusting the garbage in our life. And this must be my lot in life. And this must be what I'm handed. And this must be my only option in life is what I can see in the circumstances I'm living in. And we, we really live our life in response to the stuff that's happening around us. Instead of living our life in response to who God says he is. If, if in, if in the, 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 the span of, of our days and everything that goes wrong, let's say, for example, we're worried about a prodigal child. It's all we can think about. It consumes our being. I was talking to one of our team members tonight who's extremely worried about one of her children. And I know what that's like. I have seven who I worry about all the time. But I've gotten to the place in my life where I'm able to say, you know what, Lord? I believe you're who you say you are. And I believe that you are going to protect my children. I believe that they are safe in your grip. I believe, Lord God, that your arm is not too short that it cannot save. I believe, Lord, that my children will be taught by the Lord and great will their peace be. I believe that you are Jehovah Shalom, the God my peace, and I'm expecting to lay my head down right now, Lord, in peace, and I'm trusting you with my children. I believe that or who you say you are, and I am not living in response to all this garbage going on around me. I am living my life in response to who you say you are. Because I know your name, Lord. You will protect me. And I'm just going to speak your name into my life right now. I'm going to speak your name into my circumstances right now. My checkbook may be in red, but you know what? I know you're Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider. I'm not looking at my finances right now. I'm not looking at my health right now. I'm not looking at my prodigal children right now. I'm not looking at my hopelessness right now. I believe that you're who you say you are. And I'm going to begin to live my life in response to that because I know your name. You will protect me. It never fails that when I'm teaching something, the Lord always tests me. Anybody know what that's like? Do you, do you really, Rhea, you're preaching that with everything you have. Do, do you really believe that? One of the things that I, I've always said to you is that I will, one thing you can trust me with is that I will never stand up here and preach something to you that hasn't first preached to me. I've got accountability people all around me, and I've given them permission to say, Rhea, you're preaching about that, but you're living something different. Oh, can I just tell you how much I hate that? I just, you know, I, I, I don't want to be a fraud. I don't want to be inauthentic. I don't want to be a preacher who preaches to you but never lets it preach to me. I want to be the real deal, or I don't want to be it at all. And so it never fails that when I preach something, God immediately will test me in it. Do you really believe it, Rhea? 
And so I wanted to share a story with you. And I know it's late, but just bear with me because it's a super good story. But about a year and a half ago, um, I, I started to have some problems. I was severely, severely anemic, and no amount of iron that they gave me would, would replenish the stores in my body. I just kept getting more and more anemic. And I had some other issues going on in my life. And, and I went to my doctor, and, and they did some tests, and, and they said, you know, you really need to have a hysterectomy. Now, men, I know this is going to you know, make you feel uncomfortable. Please don't. It, it really is a good story. Stay with me. But, but you need to have a hysterectomy. And I said, you know what, I'm way too young. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, and I don't want to do that, and I believe that God can heal this. And, and, and so, you know, I'm not going to have that. And she said, well, Rhea, you need to do something, and, and here's another option for you. And, and it was this ablation that she said that she could do for me. And I said, okay, I'll do that, but I won't do the hysterectomy. I don't really feel like I need that. And, and she said, well, I think you do, but... I'll be happy if we can do this ablation. And so I, I set up an appointment a year and a half ago to do this ablation. And it was a hospital. I had to go into the hospital. It was a, a, a procedure they had to put me under to do. And so they put me under. I go into the operating room. I come back out, and I'm in the recovery room. And I can hear my doctor say, I can't even believe I did that. And I'm thinking, okay, that's my doctor's voice. I'm kind of groggy, but I'm... I'm thinking if everything's still here. I wonder what she can't believe she did. And I came out of the, the anesthesia, and I said, so how did it go? And Dave said, honey, she didn't do it. She punctured your uterus when she went in to do that ablation. I'm like, you're kidding me. And she said, yes. She said, I got to tell you, Rhea, I've been doing this for, I can't remember how many years. She said, 25 or 30 years. And she said, I've never once done that. She said, I just, I can't even tell you how sorry I am. You need to know that every time I've seen her since, she, the first conversation we have is she starts with, Rhea, I can't even tell you how sorry I am that I did that. And I'm like, no big deal. This is not a big deal. I didn't want this thing anyway. It, it, not, not a big deal. And she said, well, it's going to take a couple months to heal, and then we'll reschedule it. And I'm thinking, if you think for one second, I'm going back under to do this, you're crazy. But so we, re we, we wait these couple months. I reschedule the, this, the, the procedure. The day comes for the procedure. Leslie will tell you that morning I'm beside myself and I cancel that morning of the procedure. I can't tell you why. I just did. I just don't even know. I don't know why, but I did. And so she said, Rhea, you really need to have this done. We need to reschedule it. I reschedule it. That the week before the, the, the procedure, I get a call from her office. She has to have surgery. So we cancel the procedure again three times. So stay with me. I really am going somewhere. By the time we were able to reschedule it, I'm on the road. I can't do the procedure anymore, so we nix it. In May, and you'll know, you know this story, in May, I start getting this right flank pain. And it is relentless. And, and at that point, I'm kind of a little ticked off at God because I'm saying, Lord, I am standing up in front of people, preaching that you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, their healer. I'm watching you heal people, Lord. I believe that's who you are. I believe you want to heal. Everything in me knows you can, and I am not backing down from that. And, Lord, I believe you're going to heal this side. And, and I will tell you, he didn't. And I was not happy. I, I'm like, Lord, I will stand on my head. I'll make a fool out of myself, but I just want you to know you are asking me to stand up and preach healing, and, and I'm in pain, and what's up with that, Lord? 
And so we began, I, I began to get the prayer warriors around me who I really believe in, who I really trust. You know, see, there are prayer warriors, and then there are prayer warriors. And, and I got the prayer warriors around me. And I said, you know, I'm having this right flank pain. I'd gone through every test, every. There are a lot of tests. I went through every test there was to go through to the point where my doctors, I think, she's really thinking I'm a hypochondriac. And, but the pain is getting worse instead of better. And I can hardly stand it. I have to drive with a pillow behind my back. It is bad pain in my right, my right side. And, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm telling you, I think I have a high pain tolerance, and it would not go away. It was horrible for about six months. And I couldn't understand why God wasn't healing me. Sweet Sally is sitting here. She was one of the people that I asked to pray for me. One day she came in, and she had tears in her eyes. And she said to me, Rhea, I just want to tell you, the Lord won't let me pray for your healing. And I'm like, what? And she said, he told me to give you this. And she gives me a note. And I open it up, and, and it says, my grace will be sufficient for you. I can say this now, that, that I looked at that note and I was like, your grace will be sufficient for me. I have no doubt, Lord, your grace will be sufficient for me, but your healing will be more sufficient, and I am expecting a healing, Lord. And just so we got this straight. And that's how I was talking to you, because I really believe that he can heal, and I couldn't figure out why he wasn't. I couldn't figure it out. Margaret, one of, our, one of our team members, came up to me one day. She laid her hand on my side, and she said, Rhea, it's not going to happen the way you're expecting it to happen. And I'm like, you better believe I'm expecting it to go away. I'm expecting to be healed. She said, but he's going to take care of it, but it's not going to be like you're expecting. My grace will be sufficient for you, Rhea, and it's not going to happen the way you think. I'm a little, I'm having some conversations with God. And so the doctor said, we, they did everything they could do. My doctor says, there's one test you need to have. She said, I want you to go see a gastroenterologist. You need to have a colonoscopy done. And so I go see this gastroenterologist, and he examines me, and he says, Rhea, I'll do this colonoscopy, but I'll tell you right now, the pain you're having is ovarian. And I'm like, great. I mean, you know, ovarian cancer is one of the worst cancers you can possibly have. And, and he's like, it's ovarian. And he said, I'm going to call your doctor today and tell her that's what it is. And, and so I, I called my doctor the next morning, and he had already sent a report over to her and said, what she's having is ovarian, and you need to take care of it. So I start doing some investigation, and I didn't tell anybody this, and I didn't let anybody in on that secret in my life because I didn't want anybody speaking any doubt in my mind. And, but I started to, to do some investigation, and I had every symptom there was of ovarian cancer. And now I'm really having some conversations with God. But I was still believing with every ounce of my being, because I know your name, Lord, you are going to protect me. And I'm not backing down from this, Lord. I know you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer. Team, tell them, did I not say, he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer. I can walk around with this pain for the rest of my life, but I believe he's going to heal me. And I'm not backing down from that. So my doctor says, Rhea, we got we to do this hysterectomy. And, and I began to just talk with Dave and pray about it. And he said, Rhea, please just go have the hysterectomy done. And I said, well, okay, if I'm going to have the hysterectomy done, I have this little hernia here. Let's just get that fixed at the same time. And, and so I had to go to a different surgeon to get this hernia fixed. And they decided that they would collaborate. And the surgeon says to me, 
I know you're worried about scars, Rhea, and so I'll make you a deal. He said, I'll stay for the whole procedure, and I'll close you up. I'll not only fix the hernia, but I'll, I'll close you up at the end, and she won't have to do that. And he said, I'm a surgeon. It'll be a nice close. Don't have to worry about scars. So I'm, I'm okay with that, and time comes for my surgery. And I say, the last thing I say to both doctors is, I got the right flank pain. Make sure you check it out. So um, am I forgetting anything in this that was important? <laughs> it was all so good. Um, so I come out of surgery, and um, the surgeon comes into me, and he said, Rhea, I fixed the hernia, but can I tell you what we found? He said, you, have, you had an adhesion that was congenital. Do you know what the word it means? It was a birth defect. I'm 48. I said, it was a birth defect, and it's just showing up when I'm 48 years old. Come on, tell that story to somebody else. And, and he said, no, Rhea, I'm telling you, it was a birth defect. He said, your liver was pasted up against your abdomen wall, was adhered to your abdomen wall, and your bowel was adhered to your liver, and it was a birth defect that had just gotten that bad that it was giving you that. He said, I don't know why it just started hurting you, but I can guarantee you it was the way you were born. I'm like, you're kidding me. He said, your pain was liver. He said, it was because that liver was pasted up against your abdominal wall. He said, it's just fine. We released it. You're going to be just fine. Don't forget the birth defect. Just keep that up here in your noggin. Put that in the vault. So the, the doctor comes in. She said, everything's fine. Your ovaries are fine. Everything looks great. You're just fine. Good thing we did it. You're going to be just fine. Go home. I go home. Three weeks later, she said, you have to be on bed rest for six weeks. I'm preaching. Nothing was going to stop me from preaching. And she said, you have to be on, really get some rest for six weeks. And so at about three weeks, Leslie and I were supposed to have lunch. And it was gonna, she was going to break me out of that prison in my home. And I was going to actually get to leave my bed and have some lunch. And so I was looking forward to that day, and she called me and said, you know, I can't come. And I'm like, I was looking forward to this. So she said, I'll come tomorrow. So she comes and picks me up the next day, which was supposed to be the day before. And we go to Chili's, I think, and we're in the parking lot at Chili's, and my phone rings. And it's my doctor. And I could tell by her voice that something was wrong. And she said, Rhea, we have pathology back. And she said, I just, I need to talk to you about it. And, and I was, I can't tell you the fact that Leslie had canceled the day before and was now sitting in the seat next to me when I got this news. And, um, and she said, Rhea, you, we'd like you to go have some genetic testing done. And I'm like, why would you want me to go have genetic testing done? And she said, well, we found something in your fallopian tube, and, and she said it's the precursor to ovarian cancer. And she said it wasn't just in your fallopian tube. It said it was right on the edge, ready to enter into your, into your ovaries. And she said, Rhea, this is the kind of, of, of uh, precursor that the second it hits the ovary, it turns into ovarian cancer. And she said, do you have any idea how lucky you are, Rhea? She said, we don't ever find this at this stage. She said, we always find it at full-blown ovarian cancer. She said, we've had every tumor board look at this that could look at it thinking we might have missed something. She said, we checked your ovaries out. She said, I called in some oncologists. She said, I had everybody look at this. And she said, I just need to tell you, Rhea, you have no idea how lucky you are. I said, oh, Dr. Davis, luck had nothing to do with this. Can I just tell you about my Jesus? Can I just tell you about my Jesus? Jesus. 
So they sent me to another a genetic counselor because apparently the people that get this have this thing, BRCA, BRCA gene, which is the breast cancer and ovarian cancer gene. It's people who always get ovarian cancer and usually breast cancer. And so they want me to go get this tested. And Dave and I go and we're sitting in front of this genetic counselor and she's shaking her head and she said, can I just tell you, do you know how lucky you are? She said, we see about, what, what did she say, Dave? I want to say they, they, they see the, the, the best hospital, like my hospital had never seen one case of this. She said, MD Anderson sees 20 cases a year. She said, in, in the history of all of what we know, there's been 1,500 cases of fallopian tube cancer, but, but even less of what you have where we catch it at this stage. She said, Rhea, do you have any idea how lucky you are? Can I just tell you, those who know my name, those who know my name, I will protect. I, I, I got to just tell you, a birth defect. I'm stubborn. I never would have had that hysterectomy. Ever in a million years, I wouldn't have had it, except this right flank pain just got so bad, I could hardly even bear it. Can I just tell you that my Jesus, my God, knew 48 years ago when he knit me together in my mama's womb that I was as stubborn as an ox and that I wouldn't take Rhea, you need a hysterectomy at her word. I would have to have something bigger to force me. And so a birth defect 48 years prior, he kicks off in May and makes me absolutely miserable because his grace will be sufficient. And you say, well, why didn't he just heal you, Rhea? Oh, because it wouldn't have been nearly as good. I would have just thought, oh, he made the right flank pain disappear, and, you know, I guess my anemia is pretty good. Would you have thought he was awesome? <laughs> would you have thought he was mighty? Or would you think the fact that my, my doctor said a month, two, ma max of six, you would have had full-blown ovarian cancer, Rhea? Oh, come on. Somebody needs to praise his name. I went to church for the first time a week or so ago, and Les came in, and it was during worship, and I was standing on my feet, and she slipped in the pew, and she said, sit down. <laughs> and tears just filled my eyes, and I said, oh, Leslie, how can you sit? All I want to do is worship him. All I want to do is worship him. Can I tell you about my Jesus? Can I tell you? about his power. Can I tell you that, that who he says he is, he will be for you. He will be for you. But do you believe it? Have you set your affections on him? Have you set your vision on him? How, are you putting all your trust in him? Are you putting all your chips in his pot? Lord, I'm for you. I believe you. I'm not going to believe what I see here. I'm going to believe what I know you're going to be for me. Do you know how many doctors, surgeon, gynecologist, genetic counselor I have gotten to talk to about Jesus? Oh, he could have healed me. No doubt in my mind, but I would have missed all of that. Can you, can you just see how powerful he is? He's powerful, and he is mighty. Oh, I left one last thing out. Before my doctor, when we were talking about the hysterectomy, she said, you know, Rhea, let's leave your fallopian tubes and your ovaries in. We'll take everything else. I said, okay, that, that's fine. She said, you know, then you won't 
hormones won't go crazy. She said, we'll, we'll leave those in. Because, you know, I don't think you have anything wrong with you, so we'll leave those in. Leslie's mom died of ovarian cancer. And she heard that, and she said, Rhea, please, I'm begging you to just have her take the ovaries out. Have her take them out. So I called her back. I said, you know what? I've been thinking, how about we take those ovaries and those fallopian tubes out? So when she called me with this news, I said, Dr. Davis, you wanted to leave those in. She said, Rhea, I know. Do you know how lucky you are? Father, we just thank you that you are who you say you are. And teach us, Lord, teach us, Lord, to not live in response to the stuff that's going on around us, to not live in response to what we see in the natural. But, Lord, teach us how to learn to live in response to what we know in the supernatural because we know your name. Oh, Lord, teach us about your name. Teach us about your name, Lord, who you are, who you want to be for us. Lord, I thank you that you will never leave us, that you'll never forsake us. And when we begin to know your name, to know your character, to know who you truly are, your attributes, we'll learn to trust you even more, Lord. And we'll learn to live less reactive and in a deeper contentment, in a deeper peace, in a place of inaccessibility, where the enemy can't ruffle our feathers, where he can't make us panic, where he can't send anxiety, because we know your name, Lord. We'll trust you to protect us. We'll trust you to rescue us. Oh, Lord, teach us, I pray. We give you glory. Oh, Lord, I give you glory. I give you glory, Lord. All-powerful, all-knowing, almighty God, almighty God, you are mighty. And we give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea, or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ.